So we are on the eighth lesson in the fall quarter. We're starting the book of Colossians. The title of our lesson is Paul's Prayer for the Colossians. And so, Lord, as we learn about the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus, we pray that you would learn to lean on him in all things. And uh, so guide us by your Holy Spirit. We pray for the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit as we look at this uh, letter. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so our first section is... Uh, so this our first section is very long again. It's two verses. Greetings from Paul, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Somebody want to read that? Thank you. So, well, a little bit about this church. Now this is, uh, Colossians was written during Paul's fourth missionary journey, which was essentially his imprisonment, first imprisonment in Rome. And uh, he wrote four letters during that time. Uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. So uh, Colossians was included in that. Uh, this church was apparently never visited by Paul. It was probably founded by Ep Epaphras. And uh, it was near Laodicea, which we know from Revelation. Um, uh, Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis were all within 10 miles of each other. Philemon, which is another book of the Bible. Philemon was a member of the Colossian church, as was Onesimus, who was Philemon's slave, who was converted by Paul while he was in prison. So um, there's a lot of interactions there. And, you know, the... The Bible is basically emergency literature. You know, it's written to, for a problem. And Colossians is written for the problem of a rise in heresy in Colossae. And it was early Gnosticism was raising its head. It wasn't fully developed at the time. But uh, it stressed the need for observation of Jewish laws. Uh, it stressed the, it laid emphasis on special knowledge so that only a few could, you know, be the in crowd. It involved the worship of angels. And it denied the deity of Christ. And it was not Stoicism, but uh, Stoicism and Gnosticism had one thing in common, which is still plagues the Christian church. And I'll get to that when we get there, because I want to say it right. <laughs> but anyway, so that that is this book and why it was written and what Paul was, why he was writing it. Um, so he identifies himself as an apostle, and he's an apostle by the will of God. And, you know, Jesus said, you know, you think you chose me, but I chose you. That's true of all of us. And Paul, he chose while he was going to chase the Christians down. 
right out of Damascus. He was recruited separate from the other apostles, Paul. Timothy is with him, which we saw in Philippians also. Timothy was with him there in Rome. And Timothy, I believe, was recruited out of Lystra during his, uh, I think it was his second missionary journey. Yeah, and so, and then he, this book is to believers, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at peace uh, to you. Yeah, grace and peace to you. Oh, my gosh. Who? <laughs> Let me try that again. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So we go over this every time we start a new book of Paul because it says the same thing every beginning. So grace is, remind me what grace is. That is how you're saved. You're saved. You don't deserve it. You do not deserve it. It's unmerited. So there's no merit involved. Favor. God's unmerited favor. That's how we're saved. And all we have to do is accept the gift, which is marvelous. You know, and when we do that, we achieve peace with God. That's what it says in uh, Romans 5.1. You know, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that is the place we are. And the Colossian letter, just like the Philippian letter, is to tell us, okay, now that we are in this position, how do we act? We should act like that, like we are. You know, we are children of God. Um, really new creations, right? We're born again, because when we were born physically, we were born disconnected from God. That's the, we were born in our sin nature, uh, which didn't really care about God, had no interest, um, you know. Um, so once we believe, we are new creations. Where does it say that? Second Corinthians five seventeen. Yeah, I think that's Second Corinthians five seventeen. So, um, anything more about that little introduction? That's all I can milk out of it. <laughs> yeah, that that bears uh, repeating. So, faith is not just knowledge. People can know about Jesus. The Pharisees knew about Jesus, but they did not trust him. You know, what saves us is faith, and that means we remove our trust from ourselves or the government or our parents or anything or our accomplishments, and we put them in Jesus alone because he made a promise. And that promise was, if you believe in him, he will grant you eternal life. And uh, so the gospel is Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and he rose again. According to the scriptures, that is what we believe. When we believe that, we believe his promise. He will grant us eternal life. And so it's like when you sit down in a chair. You have faith that the chair will hold you. That's what you do with Jesus. You have faith that he will hold you when you sit in him, <laughs> when you rest in him. And the moment that happens, you're saved.
and you were never lost. And now we have to learn how to live like what we are. Section B is the spread of the gospel. That is three through eight. How about if I read that one? So uh, chapter one, verse three, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So verse 3, believers are sons and daughters of God. The Bible tells us that. Um, the world says that everyone is a child of God, but that is not correct. Uh, everyone is an image bearer of God, which is why they have dignity and they have worth. All people, dignity and worth, because they're image bearers of God. And that is why murder is wrong, <laughs> because you're killing an image bearer of, wrong, of God. But uh, they're not children of God. You become a children of God when you're, again, connected to God by the Spirit through belief in Jesus Christ. Yeah, so we are sons and daughters of God, but Jesus is unique. Yeah, he is the monogenes, one of a kind, born of a virgin, so he did not inherit a sin nature. And he's also God, which is pretty special. So, um, you know, and that is what he says. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. That's why he could save us. He was fully man, and he represented man, and he died for man, you know. And so, you know, if somebody else, you know, a real good guy, could have lived and died who was not Jesus, it wouldn't have made any difference, <laughs> you know, because he's God, too. And so he can make that promise that nobody else could make, that you can, I will give you eternal life. So page, um, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, and there was something in the quarterly I wanted to bring up. Yeah, this is the outworking of our faith. It was always important to Paul that faith in Christ continually be demonstrated outwardly in behavior toward others. Now, that's what the whole book of James is about. You can be saved from hell and be worthless to God in this life. You know, if you don't allow it to grow in yourself. And that comes from response to the Holy Spirit, because it's true, the natural man cannot understand this book. It doesn't make sense to them. Why? Because the Holy Spirit illuminates it for us, so we can understand it. And um, 
So once you're saved, you're able to understand it. Not everyone is willing to yield to what it says. And that's why we pray for, because God knows. And I think he believes. His grandma is sure he's saved. He does not walk like it at all. And uh, that is an unfortunate truth that it's possible to be that way. And that is why we come here, <laughs> you know, to learn. So it is the Lord, it's the Lord's desire that faith motivate works that can be seen outwardly by others. So if you have the works, but you don't have the faith, the Lord considers those works trash, right? He says they're dirty rags. But if the works that you do are motivated by that faith, then that accrues eternal reward. So this is James 2.17. Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. A lot of people will interpret this, the book of James, as if you don't have works, you know, that can be seen by others, it means you do not believe. That is not what this is saying. It means that your faith is useless to others. It's useless to God. And it says that in James 2, verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? It does not say it does not exist. It says that it is not functional. Functional faith comes... When you're saved and you read God's word and he, the Holy Spirit urges you toward something or he urges you from something that you're doing that God doesn't like. <laughs> and you respond to that. And that's how we grow. So and that's what uh, Paul is encouraging. And all of these, he's, these letters, he's encouraging that. So verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So what is your hope for the future? One day, I, I've noticed that my speech slips. Sometimes my mind is not as sharp as it was, which irritates me to no end. <laughs> that uh, I my uh, endurance is poor. You know, that I have pains that I can't get away from. My hope is this new body that is young and strong and eternal. And, and this, the way th things are described in the future for us. Talk about utopia. You know, the communists are trying to build the utopia of man right now. And it's, it's a hellhole. That's <laughs> what it is becoming. But this is a true utopia, what Jesus' kingdom is going to be. You know, and that is our hope that motivates us to godly lives now. Yeah, so our hope, Titus 2.13. Yeah, if you, if you look at the Bible, anytime Christ's return is mentioned, it is always in the context, in the nearby context, associated with godly living and evangelism. The hope of Christ's return is associated with godly living and evangelism. So Titus 2, verse 13, we're looking for the blessed hope. There's that word hope. And the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. And then Hebrews 12, 
This also is about hope. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, that's us, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. And uh, this new Jerusalem is described in Revelation chapter 20. That's going to be our home. And it will be awesome. And, you know, the Bible says that we will rule on the earth with Jesus when he comes in his kingdom. But it says that we will live in heaven. And I've read this. Uh, there's a book, a very good book on eschatology called Things to Come. It's written in 1958 by J. Dwight Pentecost. And uh, he postulates, I don't know if this is true or not, it sounds very cool though, that we, that because the New Jerusalem won't come down onto the earth until this earth is gone because it's contaminated, the new heaven and the new earth, then the New Jerusalem will come down on the earth. And that's this square, one mile square. That's how big the New Jerusalem is. A one mile square. <laughs> it's it's uh it's a mile wide, a mile long, and a mile high. Oh, okay, huge. It's a very tall apartment building. <laughs> yeah. And and he says due to the tense of uh, the verb in Galatians describing this city that it is existent now. It exists now. In heaven. I don't know if it's in heaven because we're getting a new heaven and a new earth. So I don't know. These are mind-bending things, kind of Star Trek things. But it makes me think that, well, maybe we'll commute. We'll live in heaven, in this new Jerusalem and commute to earth. You know, Jesus vanished and appeared different places. So anyway, I don't know if that's real. But doesn't that sound neat? <laughs> says, okay, guy, I'm going to work. Think you're down on earth, you know. Ruling and reigning, whatever the Lord has given you in charge of. And then, so I, I don't know that, but it says that we will rule on earth in the millennial kingdom for 1,000 years. It also says that our citizenship is in heaven. And uh, that is just speculation on my part, because I think about it and I think it'd be really, it'd be really neat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should be careful. Yes, I agree with that. But I do believe doctrine is important. Oh, absolutely. Doctrine is very important. And and uh, so we, our church very strongly believes in the pre-tribulation rapture. And we believe there's biblical support, strong biblical support for it and against the others. But you're right. We wouldn't, we would just tell people. We wouldn't argue with people. If there's any splitting, it would be on their side, not on our side. So verse 6, let's see. The gospel, the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing 
in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. So this verse is a direct argument against the Gnostic idea that just a few with special knowledge are the in crowd. Um, the gospel is for the entire world. The gospel is not for just some special folks, not just for the elite. It is for anyone who will respond. When Jesus died, he died for anyone who is willing to accept his gift. And so it is not just for the special, which was one of the kind of the selling points of this uh, Gnosticism. And then verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. You know, back in the book of Philippians, we had Epaphroditus, which is very similar to this, Epaphras. There's some speculation it could be the same person. You know, I, I really don't believe that. Uh, Colossae and Philippi is in Macedonia. Colossae is in Asia Minor. Uh, different places. Epaphras was from Colossae. So, um, but he is credited with planting this church. And uh, he may have also planted Laodicea and uh, a church in Heropolis, which we didn't, we don't really have much, anything in our Bible about Heropolis. But uh, Colossians 4.13 says, for I testify for him, that's Epaphras, that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. So um, Epaphras was probably converted in Ephesus. Remember, Paul spent three years in Ephesus teaching. Uh, and uh, things spread from there. And so he probably was converted and then was a missionary to Colossae, Laodicea, and Heropolis. And that's how it's supposed to work, right? You get converted, you go someplace else, and you tell other people about it. And so it grows. The church grows. So verse 8, And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So love is being produced as fruit of the Spirit. Being saved makes you a loving person, if you allow it. Isn't that nice? <laughs> being saved makes you a loving person, if you allow it to work. If you allow it to work, it will make you a loving person. Yeah, and so uh, Paul goes back again and again to these uh, three things. Faith, that's in verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Hope, verse 5, because the hope laid up for you in heaven, and love. He also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. That's the end of Paul's discussion of kind of the definition of love. You know, motivates action. action. Yeah, yeah, and that's agape, right? Mm -hmm. Agape yeah. is a, a love of the will. Yeah. So yeah, it's a love of the will. You decide. 
I will, uh, you know, be it. yeah. It's it's not a feeling. Um, it is a choice. Yes. So yeah, this this I got out of a commentary. Anyway, faith looks up to God. Love looks outward to others, and it also looks upward to God too. And hope looks forward to the future. You know, in our world today. Don't you need hope? You know, think of the people who don't have this hope. That's why the rate of suicide is rising. They don't have, people don't have hope. And the world around you sucks hope out of you. You know, we have an unending source of hope. And so that is why we can be lights to the lost. Okay, so that's the end of that. Um, section, spread of the gospel. Anything more about that? Paul's really building up the Colossians here, isn't he? Yeah, he tends to do that before he corrects them, people. The only group he didn't do that to was the Galatians. I think he was really mad at them, <laughs> the Galatians. But uh, usually he will build people, he will, you know, praise them for what is good before he goes into correction mode. Okay, so section C, a life worthy of Christ. That's verse 9 through 14. Somebody want to read that section? Thank you, ma'am. That is a mouthful. That is, yeah, that's a mouthful. It's good. Yeah, it's good stuff. So Paul is praying, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So it says he never ceased praying for them. Does that mean he never stopped praying? The Bible says pray without ceasing. Of course we stop. <laughs> but we start again. <laughs> you know? And we, so... You know, and that, you know, it's, he says it means he never forgot them when he had his daily prayers and regularly prayed for them. So, how the question is, how is your prayer life, guys? What do you think? How was your How would you rate your prayer life? Good, bad, indifferent? Do you talk to God a lot? There you go. That puts your mind right when you go into tough situations. Well, we want to be encouraged to pray because there's great power in prayer. There are two things that the Lord promises to bless. One is prayer. The other is the proclamation of his word accurately. His word will not return void. His word will not return void. And those are the two things. Really, it's really simple. So, But Jesus said in Matthew 20, 20, 21, 21, he answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree. See, he told the fig tree, that's it for you. And it withered up. 
You will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. What was that scripture? Matthew 21, verse 21. Okay, Matthew, thank you. We have the example of Elijah. This is Elijah 5, or not Elijah 5. See, this this is what I don't like my brain doing. James 5, verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was human, just like we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So that is something that happened when Elijah, a man, prayed. Now, there is a proviso. God does have a proviso on this power that he makes available to us. And that is John 5.14. 1 John 5.14, sorry. This is the confidence which we had before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, will. he hears us. Right. So you want to, that's why you want to read the Bible. Study the Bible, know the Bible, because within the Bible, we find God's will. So the Lord wants us to communicate with him in this way, in prayer. We have, through Jesus, we have access to God, and we can communicate with God anytime we feel like it, anytime we want. And Jesus tells us, this I recite, I, This comes into my head every time I drive to prayer meeting. Luke 18.1, Jesus said to them, men must always pray and never give up. (laughs) Because many times when you're driving to prayer meeting, you're like, do I really want to do this? (laughs) You know, that thought comes in your mind. And then this verse comes to my mind. Men must always pray and never give up. And so um, the Lord wants you to pray. There's power in prayer. And, you know, in our prayer meeting, we have answer upon answer upon answer upon answer over and over again through the years. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of power. He helps me find things. (laughs) So now what did Paul pray? Paul is a good example to us of how to pray for other people. And many times we don't pray this way. But what did he pray for? He prayed for their spiritual growth. Yeah, that's what he prayed for. So, yeah, and he prayed that they would be filled. It's the Greek word plero, means filled up to the brim, to the top, over, you know, until it's ready to flow over with the knowledge of God. Yeah that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, and why now being filled to, you know, knowledge is great, right? If you stop there, what happens then? Nothing, <laughs> right? You, knowledge is necessary but it's a step on the way to wisdom where you use that knowledge in your activities. And uh, that is where the Lord wants us to go. We, you know, 
so we're filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. So that's what we want to do as we grow. And see, we never grow to completeness in that, in this life. We can always improve in, and become more like Jesus in our character uh, as we follow him. Um, so it's a, great, uh, it's a great thing to pursue. And as you do that, and he brings this out here, your experiential knowledge of him will increase. In other words, you will sense him in how he works in your life, you know. I love that verse, John 14, 21. He says, if you obey my commands, I will disclose myself to you. And uh, he does that, you know, mainly through answered prayer and just how he uh, causes things to happen in your life when you're walking with him. And so you, you, you don't just know him from a book then. You know him in reality, in your life, in your experiences. Um, so, and your, that causes your faith to grow. And also, you will gain insight. As you grow spiritually, you will gain insight. And, and, and you'll get more understanding than you would, than you had before. And that's in John 15, 14 and 15. He said, Jesus says, you are my friends. If you do it, I command you. You can be a believer, saved and going to heaven, but not his friend. Okay. You, you become his friend when you do what he commands you. That is where friendship develops between you and God. And then he says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Your receptivity of God's knowledge increases as you grow spiritually. You're able to understand more. Um, and then... Verse 11, strengthened with all power. That This is the only way we can do any of this stuff. And it's the same thing as Paul says in Ephesians 3.16. You know, we had a missionary come speak to us from the Ukraine. And he said this verse, and something went on in my head. It was like, uh, it was like this, you know, more understanding. I had read this. I don't know how many times I read this verse. I didn't think anything about it, but he said, Ephesians 3.16, that he would, God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power, that word, power, through his spirit in the inner man. The Holy Spirit gives you power to do these things. Yes, the Lord asks you to do a lot of things, many, many things. Enlivens us to do it. I mean, Anybody ever been fatigued? You just can't do anything. <laughs> you know, you can't, you know, and the Holy Spirit empowers you to do what God asks if you're willing to submit to it. And that's where the rub is. Day by day, 
Am I willing? <laughs> you got to check in because you know, you know that that song, "Trust and Obey." As we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, that's you know the power is obtained through that. Yeah. So anyway, power for steadfastness. This is what Paul's praying specifically that you would be strengthened with all power for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience with joy. So we need to be steadfast, persevere with patience, joyfully. And the Holy Spirit can help you do that. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah. So just a couple more things. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What a wonderful thing that is. What we have been given deserves thanks. God deserves thanks for it. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. Just think about before we were saved. We were hidden straight to hell. And the more we stayed unsaved, the worse our condition gets the more hardened our condition gets, the more unwilling to yield, and straight to hell. So we have been rescued from that and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. And so, and now we are on his side. And we fight through prayer and persuasion and love. And that's the end of our first lesson in Colossians. Amen. <laughs> yeah.